From the Church of the Nazarene and Mesoamerica Genesis, you're listening to the Worthless Servants Podcast. To the Worthless Servants Podcast. I am Scott Armstrong, and it is exciting to be back with you. To my right, I have Dario Richards. Hello. <laughs> Ta-ta. <laughs> to his right, Natalie Franco. Hi, guys. I was hoping you would come with an accent as well. <laughs> to my left, Emily Armstrong. Hey, everyone. And uh, today, we are. I just need to refresh your memory. We are a podcast that deals with healthy church and culture and missions. And uh, today, we're going to touch on something that every now and then we kind of talk on. But there are two elements. Uh, first of all, as a basis for this episode, we have read an article by Micah Davis that is titled, How Church Leaders Can Empower and Pursue Millennials and Gen Z. So right there from the title, you can tell that there's a component of understanding their culture, but there's also a a component of how can we as a church minister to and minister with this culture, right? So let's kind of dive in. Uh, The author had many, many suggestions, uh, but maybe there are other ones too. Who would like to start? I think I'll start, but maybe just with giving context, because even before we turned on the the microphones, we were like, what is the actual like age range? And so I think it's even good for the listener to be thinking about instead of just using these terms. Um, so what we, we uh, went to the almighty Google and just said, <laughs> what, are, what are the generational categories? And as of April 20th of 2022, so that's pretty recent, um, Google is saying that Gen Z are our current uh, 10 to 25 year olds. So somebody that was born from 1997 through 2012 And a millennial is 1981 to 1996. So that's like a 26 to a 41 year old. So I think that's just helpful when we're starting to think about, because even though I'm a Gen Xer, I was born in 1977. That would make me a Gen X. I feel like I've got the mind more set of a millennial more than a Gen Xer because I'm on the very bottom half of the Gen X category. But maybe as we're in this conversation, I give you those age ranges. Think of somebody that's between 10 and 20 five years old when we say something about Gen Z, if somebody says something and think of somebody that's between 26 and 41 years old for millennials, because that kind of helps us like put it into a frame of reference. Maybe you are the Gen Xer or the Gen Z or the millennial, or maybe you're not. And you're trying to figure out what this conversation has to do with you. Thank you. That is very helpful. Um, Dario, what were some of your thoughts as you either read the article or certainly this is something that you have made a part of your ministry for years now? Yeah, I guess as a millennial myself, <laughs> I didn't really smack have a choice. You are smack in the middle of a millennial. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, I think one of the first points that jumped off the page for me from the article is just the warning against generalizations. Because when you begin to generalize, it makes you comfortable making assumptions about mm-hmm. people and about individuals. And despite the fact that, you know, terms like millennial, Gen X, Gen Z, you know, they provide an overview of probably, you know, like some of the values or even quote unquote priorities in the culture. Individuals are still individuals, mm-hmm. you know, with their own their own unique beliefs, their own unique um, qualities and traits. And I think one of the greatest challenges that I have faced as a millennial myself is being categorized because of somebody reading an article online, et cetera. Uh, one clear example that I that stood out to me is the assumption that so many people had 
that millennials don't like leadership or we don't like people in authority or we don't like um, the older church members. You know, I would hear people say, oh, I want to, sorry, that's Beijing, I want to, <laughs> you young people, you know, you don't like the older generation. And that was not true. Yeah. Um, actually, for as far as I can remember, I always play significant value on the advice, on the wisdom, on learning from the older church. I was never one who was of the opinion, you know, the old people need to die out <laughs> before we can make progress, you know. That, like, I never felt that way. I always felt as though if you left the church completely to meet the church, church would die tomorrow. I would blow mm-hmm. it up, you know. Like, I always value that balance of wisdom and zeal. And that's just one example among many that stood out to me of the assumptions that people will make about an entire generation, you know, based on something they read online. So I think that point of don't generalize because once you become comfortable generalizing, Mm -hmm. then you become comfortable making assumptions. And once you start making assumptions, assumptions, then you begin judging people incorrectly. You know, you begin to treat them based on information that you never got from them, but just what exists in your own head. So that's a highlight for me. It is a paradox, right? Like literally we're reading an article that says, here's how to minister to and with and understand these massive amounts of people. But one of the principles that he says is, don't just think of them as massive amounts of people, (laughs) right? And I think that's an important principle for missionaries. In in fact, you know, we can go to a culture and say, oh, the French people are are this, or the Dominicans, uh, there are certain traits of the Dominican Republic, Mm -hmm. you know, of of the culture. But at the same time, we need to be open to say, we're not going to say all people are like this, or it's because they are like this, or it's Mm -hmm. because we we don't like when people say that about us. So let's treat everyone as an individual treasure of God, a, a, a creation of God. God, that's not just a cookie cutter. That's not just a mold that's been, oh, you're exactly like everyone your age. Yeah. I kind of think sometimes this might be a relatively new problem in the church spheres. And the only reason I say that is because when I think about even life around the world in the early 1900s, like that was just a little over a hundred years ago, like Medicine didn't exist the same way it did. People did not have the longevity of life that they did. Even if they were an elderly population, they were, you know, agricultural workers. Mm -hmm. And so they were like, life is so different now Mm -hmm. that like, I'm literally thinking about my mom who's getting ready to turn 70 and she's still working her job because she can, because she's good at it. Uh, because there's no reason for her to stop the company that she works with. She's been working with for 30 years and she's like, why would I stop? I'm really good at what I do and I've got the energy to do it. And I think about that sometimes in the church realms that we're in a place now where people just live longer, they're healthier, way mm-hmm. far into the later years of their life. And I think probably in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, like as people started cresting 65 and 70, there was just this, I can't keep up anymore. And like the younger generation had to take on the task of, right. of managing the church and preaching and doing the activity and stuff because people were just exhausted. I mean, 
the manual labor that most people did in the age of industrialization. Now, all that has changed. And now we're in a digital age where we spend so much time at a computer and we sit and we're not doing like work with our hands as much. It's more mental work. You know, I, I feel like as we have people in the church that are living longer and they feel like my mom in her secular position of like, why would I quit <laughs> and allow somebody else to take this job that's a millennial or a Gen Z because I'm still really good at it and I'm highly capable. I think that's how a lot of people in church leadership work as well. Like, why would I quit? I'm really good. I love what I'm doing. I'm highly capable, but it's like, we need to start finding spaces then and maybe even a paradigm of church leadership that isn't just like, it all goes to one person then. Like I would propose that we need to have more of a team approach yeah, as we have sure. the older generation that wants to continue to stay in ministry, but we need to allow the space, even if there's a senior pastor that's like 65 and really good and we love our pastor, like create a space then of, I preach two Sundays a month and somebody else is going to preach the other two Sundays a month. Or like, what's the developmental strategy then as you continue to serve that position because you can, but at the same time, empower. I think that word yeah. empower is what the key key word is when I think about this conversation that I'm bringing is it's hard to empower somebody to do something that you're really good at and you still want to do for yourself, right? right? Yeah. It's easy to empower somebody if it's a job that you're wanting to take off your plate. If you're like, I'm done with this. I need somebody to take it over. You're looking to empower somebody, but when you really love it, it's really hard to empower somebody else. And I think there's a, a deeper church conversation in some of those areas as well. Natalie, what jumped out at you? Uh, well, actually, as Dario was saying um, <laughs> about this this one that don't generalize, but I was reading an article about a Forbes study, <laughs> and even though like the recommendation is, and I completely agree what with what Dario was saying, like we shouldn't generalize. But when I was reading that article about that study, I was able to to look at myself in that article. And the study pretty much indicates that um, the millennials, they pretty much think that um, work and hobbies should be the same. So everything they are doing, even if it is uh, serving a ministry or the work they are choosing or their career, it has to they have to love them. Like, we have to love it. We have to get up every morning and be motivated because it has to be linked. And I, I can see myself in that, in that statistics. So I'm like, and even I was thinking about my process with missions. And I, I can see it in my process applying to become a missionary. At the beginning, I was like, okay, trying to understand and try, try to pray. God, what do you want me to do? And Emily and Scott, I'm so sorry. <laughs> they were just giving me opportunities and talk, telling me, oh, there is an opportunity in Genesis to, to plant churches. But then I was looking at myself and I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't see in me. Like, I was trying like to see if I am passionate about planting churches. And as a millennial, I was like, I just said no to that option. And I was in my, then I was talking with my pastor and he's not a millennial. And then I was telling him, pastor, there is this opportunity. And he was like, take it. 
mm. then you're gonna find later on something that you like. Mm. <laughs> But I was like, I need to feel passion when I'm serving to God. Like this is the way I'm thinking, and the study says millennials thinks this way. So I think maybe don't generalize, but maybe try to see what um, what. Can you use of these studies that can open up um, opportunities for others to serve, to try to understand better this generation? Obviously, try not to, as Dario was saying, trying to get close to them and understand one by one. But in general, maybe it is not that bad to try to read a little bit more about uh, about us. Maybe it can help with ministry. Yeah. I think. No, that's yeah. good. That's good. And inviting to be a part of every ministry. I wonder, maybe there's someone that's listening right now, and, and I would invite you to evaluate your local church. Maybe you're a part of certain council, a board, a different. How many millennials and Gen Z? Now Gen Z, it says, literally can be up to 25 years old. Yeah. I mean, it's time They're graduating for, from college friends. It's time for Gen Zers <laughs> to be, to be on our boards, to be on our councils, to be in, not just the youth council. Right? <laughs> right. And so like, I think this is important. I don't view this article and I don't view the issues that we're talking about as how to attract Gen Z and millennials. I view it as how to, how to invite and impact and minister with Gen Z and millennials. And, and so, yeah, that would be one of my questions. Make sure there is representation of these generations in all ministries and in all levels of the church. One thing we, our local church has many areas we could grow here in the, in the Dominican Republic, certainly our specific, I'm talking about Emily and my local church. Uh, but one thing that I think we do well is we provide a lot of place for anyone that has a desire to preach to preach. I mean, sometimes it, we err on the side of just, well, put them up there, you know, I mean, just, just go ahead and put, you know, and I think what we could do better is maybe equipping them. Uh, we mm -hmm. could maybe uh, help them to preach. We also kind of know, and we're not the pastors anymore, I should say, uh, you know, but our pastor, one thing that he has kind of grasped and said is, well, the best way they're going to learn to preach is by preaching. <laughs> and so he's not he's not um, uh, grasping onto the pulpit saying, I have to be the one that is always here. And, and that is encouraging, you know, and, and, and I think that's important that we view it not as ministering to, but ministering with. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I appreciated in this article that the author drew out, it, he says, truly listen, don't patronize. Mm. And I think that oh, is man. really, really yeah. key. I, know that I hate being patronized. Mm -hmm. I hate when I am trying to make a point or when I'm trying to uh, call attention to something that needs some help or something like that. And the answer that I get is, we hear you, but... We hear you, however, we hear you. I, I hate that we hear you. I like, can we just cut out the we hear you? Because that doesn't mean anything. It's like we've learned such this psychological speak now of I hear what you're saying so that somebody feels validated. And I think millennials and Gen Z are like, they're on to us, right? They're like, yeah, I know you're just saying that. Mm -hmm. I know you're just saying I hear you. And it always has this comma on the other side of it. So instead of the I hear you, but probably what we need to more be doing is can you tell me a little bit more about why you feel that way yeah. can we can can you propose a few solutions about what we can be doing about this 
as opposed to making them fit into our strategies constantly. And I really hate, and I don't use the word hate very often, but I really hate when somebody forces me into their strategy that I feel like is the wrong strategy. And it's like, I just feel like I have to lay down and die sometimes. It's like, okay, (laughs) well, I gave you my opinion and you heard it. Thank you. Thank you for hearing my opinion, but we're going to continue to move forward the exact same way. And it doesn't mean anything. And I think my generation is probably the last generation that's just going to lay down and die and say, well, I'm just going to move forward because I'm on your team. At least we're still playing the baseball game together. Mm -hmm. And I think millennials and especially Gen Z, if they get any more of the, well, I hear you, but they're going to be like, well, I'm out. And I think that's what we're seeing is there is an exodus, a mass exodus of young people because I think they're tired of just being heard. They don't want to be heard. They want to be used and taken into account and see their ideas that are being put into practice. And man, I want to be a part of a church that that my young people feel as though what I have to say, the way that I see the world, the way that God reveals himself to me plays a part in this congregation as well. It's not that I'm just always going into somebody else's strategy. Yeah, I, I want to make a point and then and then just tell a personal story. Um, I think the major shift in how millennials, Gen Z, and even the latter part of Gen X's operate is really grounded in understanding motivational theories or how they are differently motivated. So there was a, a time when the primary means of motivation was the carrot and sticks model. Mm-hmm. You know, you perform, you work, you are rewarded. You get carrots. Yep. You know, you don't perform, <laughs> you're punished, you mm-hmm. know. And that's what so much of the older generation, um, that's what they were raised or they were motivated by. I do what I have to do because it gives me the reward to take care of what I am responsible for. If I don't do it, here are the consequences. I don't care about, you know, passion and whether I feel good. I have a family. They need food. If it means this is what I have to do to get them food, this is how I'm going to be rewarded. I'm going to do that. Then they create a generation because I always tell people, you don't lose generations. You leave them behind. You know, people are not keys that you can... You can lose, you, you leave a generation behind, yep. you know? Um, then what happened in our motivational shift, you know, they talk about the creation of the ramp model of, you know, motivation, which means that persons in our genetics, Gen Z are motivated primarily by mm. a sense of relatedness. They want to make sure that they're in the space where, you know, as much as we like to say, we don't want to work in spaces where, we can't meet friends or build healthy relationships. So the previous generation will be, you know, you, my, my, I would hear my, my grandmother, what are people saying? You don't go to work to meet friends. You go to work to work. Uh-huh. You know, <laughs> millennials and Gen Z will say, no, if I don't feel appreciated in this office, mm-hmm. I don't want to be there. They yeah. want to feel a sense of relatedness. Yeah. They want a sense of autonomy. Autonomy meaning they want a level of control over their work and over their destiny. They don't just want to go and get a to-do list. They want to contribute to the direction of their work. Mm-hmm. Um, the M for mastery. They want to know that they're perfecting a skill, perfecting a craft, you know, finding something to sharpen and get better at. And then the P, you know, just in a position to fulfill purpose. So being purposeful, feeling as though you're doing what you were called or created to is so important and dear to us. And it is how we are motivated. And the reason why I framed the conversation that way 
is because it gives insight into how we could help invite millennials Gen Z into leadership mm-hmm. you know how we can challenge and inspire them to participate in what we're doing it's really just how we go about motivating and getting them excited about what's next you know and the personal story I was share is just very recently when as an ordained elder in the church of the Nazarene you know Reverend Dario I decided <laughs> you know like I felt so strongly that God is shifting me away from pastoral ministry from a senior pastor role uh, which in many ways, you know, if you're an elder, you're a pastor. Like the two, there's the two go hand in hand. And I remember when I wanted to communicate this to my district superintendent, I was nervous. So <laughs> I, I called him on a day that I knew he couldn't talk about it. You know, I, just, I called him and said, Rev, I think it's time for me to transition out of um, the senior pastor role and I would like us to talk about it but I knew we couldn't talk about it no you know we would have to put it off <laughs> and the thing says okay I'll call you back with a good time to come so he calls me he tells me you know let's let's meet next week and I go home and I start to prepare like a lawyer because in my mind <laughs> I have to go to make a case your to answer. win I have to make sure I have you yeah. know I even take Lynn you know make sure Lynn is on board I give Lynn a deposition you know Lynn, this <laughs> this is what you know because I'm going to win my case as to why you know I believe that the time to shift has come and I never forget it I go in the office he sits he sits behind his desk me and Lynn sits he says oh so I, you told me you want to transition you know I'm listening and I begin to share, you know, my opening statements, you know, and I go and then he says, he says, okay, when you told me, I prayed about it. I felt the peace of God about it. Now we are in the room. I feel the peace of God about it again. How could I help you transition? Mm -hmm. And I was stunned. I, I didn't know how to respond. Because remember, I have an argument. I, I, right. come, I came to win a debate. And again, it's me making an assumption about yeah. the older generation. Yeah. And you know, from that moment, the conversation completely shifted from, we didn't even talk about why I wanted to leave. Mm-hmm. The entire conversation became about how could I help you transition? What are you doing? Mm-hmm. How is what you're going to do? Help support and make sure that you're still good with your family. How can we be involved? You know, we had a conversation in September and I was planning to resign in January. And he asked, the only thing he asked, he asked if we could stay on until March because that's the end of the church year. And, you know, I told him yes. But then when I got out, I told Lynn, if he had asked me to stay till September, I would have stayed. Mm. Just because of how he handled the conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt heard. I felt mm-hmm. respected. I felt like he was more interested in, mm. you know, what God was calling me to rather than how do I add and achieve his vision. Exactly. And just by applying those principles to the conversation, he has my loyalty. Like, I would follow him. Like, he could call me and get me to do anything just because of, mm. you know, the environment he created. Yep. And if all the leaders understood how we are motivated or how, 
just the culture is motivated, I think mm-hmm. it will be so much easier. Yeah. Uh, yes. So uh, we have examples, and I think it's the case also with uh, with your pastor, Nati, mm-hmm. that, it, that are baby boomers, yeah, I, I, I believe, right? Yeah. And so we have a district superintendent, Dario, you've just shared an example of someone that truly valued and values you, yeah. is not using you, is not viewing you from their perspective, just only from their generational perspective. Uh, but truly is trying to see your motivation yeah. and, uh, and the authenticity breeded, you know, or, you know, just produced genuine trust in you, yeah. uh, motivation, passion for you to work with him in the future, you know? Yeah. And then not the, what you were saying earlier, my goodness, you have a pastor that instead of saying, you know, you need to, you know, do this and that and the other said, I believe in you. You could do that. Wasn't forcing you, No, he was not. but, but was definitely saying, I see this in you. Maybe you could, you know, even though it's not the, the one direction you see yourself in missions, mm-hmm. do it and figure it out. And I will, I mean, how many leaders have not been yeah. that way? How many leaders have been like, oh, I want you to fit into exactly this one place. And especially even a pastor that would say, you're one of my best young leaders. I'm willing for you to go out. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I thought you were going to say that you came back to him and say, well, I, I know him. So I knew that he wouldn't have said this, but um, <laughs> that you were to come back and you were to say, no, I, I decided not to do Genesis. And he would be like. Well, it's good to have you here because we have plenty of stuff and my vision is for you to continue on. But he was like, why didn't you do that? Oh, you'd be perfect for that. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have literally examples of people that yeah. are two generations before, but that are getting it, yep. that are yeah. understanding it. And I think a, a few of the things that, that were most profound uh, from this article, I believe, one, the, well, I'll just, uh, I'll just say one of them says, embrace change as something positive instead of something negative. If literally we can go into every board meeting and if literally we can as leadership, and I'm saying Emily and I are not in your generation, right? And if our generation can just say, change is positive actually. And and a lot of times youth are the ones that are helping us to see that there needs to be change. That can be huge. Although I would say too, even before you move fast that, that giving the platform, like I think about some of the times that we do youth service or something. And I feel like sometimes I'm telling our youth, do something different. Like they've been so trained into a service looks like somebody preaches and yeah. somebody leads and the music and somebody does a verse. And so it's like a youth service is the exact same carbon copy of any other service that we do. It's just that youth happen to be doing the lead right. roles. And sometimes I feel like I'm saying, Hey, why don't you do something different? It's like, they can't even think sometimes like they've been so in this box of this is how we are the church that when you say have some creativity, they're just like their brain doesn't even move that direction. So I think even encouraging them constantly of like in the board meetings, when you say we're going to have a youth service of even saying, is there something creative that you could bring to the space? Like, what do you guys love to do? And tutor them through that almost yeah. instead of just being like, it's going to be youth service. You guys take it over, you know, still help them. They're still 20 years old. They're still trying to figure things out for themselves, you know? Yeah. And so it's like, give them the keys to unlock their creativity so that they can say, Oh, there can be something different in this space. Yeah. Even though for 20 years, I've never experienced it that way, <laughs> but 
I could do something different here and it could glorify the Lord and we could be a strong church in the midst of my leadership and creativity. I, I'm chuckling a little bit because that's a bummer on us. Yeah. If they only know one format of right. an entire church service, right. you know, it has to always look this way, yeah. you know, <laughs> because for 20 years we've done it this way. Yeah. That kind of is like, Ooh, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I, like, I want to publicly right now apologize to future generations. Like if, <laughs> if we've done it that way. Right. But the last thing I think uh, that just, I would like to highlight, it just says, adjust to their lives. Mm -hmm. Now that is very profound, but a lot of what we have said is not just saying, we really want you to be involved in what we've already planned, yeah. in mm -hmm. our scheduling, in our strategy and our technique and our, no, no, no. I mean, that, the, that, you guys are looking at me and you're just like, come on, that's old. That gets old. Who wants to do that? But when it's actually like, no, no, no. We will adjust literally as, as, you know, former generations, older generations, we will adjust our lives in order that you feel at home, in order that your ideas are taken into, into account, you know, that's huge. I feel like, I feel like that is the next step that's way farther beyond just, um, you know, invite them and encourage them and, and, uh, you know, uh, have I mean, a cool youth room. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> like let them have their space right. apart. Yes. No, no, no. You actually adjust your culture to yeah. fit theirs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's very missiological. Like we're going to have a two o'clock in the afternoon Sunday service because mm -hmm. teenagers and young people like to sleep in on the one day off that they have. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to start at two. People would be like, what? That's yeah. unholy. <laughs> I'd be a part of that church. If anybody wants to start it, I would amazingly start at 2 PM for a church service on Sunday. Well, I mean, we've talked about a lot, but I think this is really good. We're going to provide the original article in the show notes, but Emily, if people would like to maybe suggest some other things or kind of, uh, you know, react to what we have said, where can they find us? Find us on our Facebook page to the Worthless Servants podcast. You can also find more episodes just like this one on MesoamericaGenesis.org on the podcast tab. Awesome. Tell someone about us, maybe uh, even if this has helped you think differently, uh, share that with somebody, right? I think that's it for now. We are the Worthless Servants. I'm Scott Armstrong. I'm Dario Richards. I'm Natalie Franco. I'm Emily Armstrong. And we'll talk with you next time. For more information, visit us on Facebook or at MesoAmericaGenesis.org.